All right. Welcome back. This is the Black Muse Podcast. I am your host, Jason Muse, a.k.a. The Black Muse. Uh, very excited uh, for today's uh, stream, which we're doing live, but it's also simultaneously being recorded uh, because we are going to talk uh, about something I've been meaning to talk about for a while. Uh, but before we get into the topic proper, uh, I want to bring in uh, my two uh, guests uh, who are uh, part of an all-Black male panel uh, to discuss uh, the issue, which shall be named uh, soon. Uh, the first person I want to bring on is somebody that I met on a social audio app called Clubhouse. Uh, he's also been a guest on the Black News podcast before. Uh, it is the man, the legend, none other than Dre Mack. Dre Mack, what's how going? you doing? What's going on? How you living, man? I'm good. I mean, good to have you. Good to have you back on the stream. And uh, I, I hopefully we can start doing collabos uh, on pop culture or blur stuff because I know that's that's your forte. And yes, sir. I, I, I'm staying in the political lane right now, but eventually I want to jump over to that. Awesome. Let's do it. Uh, for my second guest, uh, I have another person who is also returning. He was on a prior episode of the Black Muse podcast, somebody that I used to work with um, and, and somebody uh, with whom our relationship has ebbed and flowed over time, but I think it's blossomed into something very meaningful, at least for me. Uh, it is a man, uh, none other than uh, Malik Brown. How you doing, Malik? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. Great to have you back on the stream. Been a been a cool minute. How you living? I'm good, man. One day at a time. Um, I Stay do appreciate away. you giving me the opportunity. I do appreciate uh, being able to uh, look at that documentary. That's what's up. Which uh, is a great actual segue uh, to the topic. So what we are here to talk about or discuss uh, is a recent documentary published by none other than Candace Owens, and I also believe those of the Daily Wire. Uh, from a, it's a conservative documentary uh, called "The Greatest Lie Ever Sold," and it is detailing uh, not only um, what happened in the kind of uh, summer of 2020 with the George Floyd protests, uh, but also uh, what has become of the 90 million plus uh, funds that uh, the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation, I believe it's called, has collected, um, and whether or not that money was used wisely or used in a way that actually benefits in some um, measurable way, the black community. So Black Lives Matter released their 990 IRS filing. They collected $80 million. Where is that money? It's not here. Everything looks worse than it was. Where have you seen that money impacted throughout the city? So my producer just sent me a link. It is just shocking to me because of how much money was raised to think that where he lived, the bills weren't being covered. Super frustrating, but that's a dead end, so. And here's where it gets really interesting. Ready for some BLM pride? Another 200K went to escorts, BDSM workers, strippers, peep show workers, phone sex operators, and webcam performers. And then at that moment, it became personal. And I thought, not only am I going to say the truth, <laughs> I am going to scream the truth louder than you can scream the lies. It's incredible that the majority of the world hasn't seen this. Um, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding those things. Um, to what extent uh, looting and rioting are valid forms of protest. 
uh, given what the issues that they are protesting, some things like police brutality, things like uh, problems and uh, systemic problems in our criminal justice system that negatively and disproportionately impact black people, et cetera. We mean to talk about all of the nitty gritty. We mean to take a deep dive into those things. And in the final polished version, I will be splicing uh, clips uh, from the actual documentary into here. Uh, but for uh, in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to refer to clips, uh, provided that I can scroll through and find what we're referring to uh, real quick. So it'll be easier to, to, for me to just put it in and post. But if we need to refer to something or you guys want me to like find something, I have it uh, queued here for us to do so. So without further ado, are y'all ready to have this discussion? Yeah, let's go. All right, so again, the name of the documentary is The Greatest Lie Ever Sold. Now, I um, do hear a lot of the critiques uh, as far as what Candace Owens is focusing on. I also vehemently disagree on certain things she chooses to focus on because I don't think that those are the real issue. Uh, in particular, Candace Owens starts off the documentary showing clips from a viral video that she had, I believe on IG Live, um, going over all of her reasons why she is disgusted by what she claims is a part of a general trend of the black community taking criminals and making heroes out of them uh, and or making martyrs out of them. Um, and I think the reason why she feels that that's uh, outrageous or disgusting is because uh, in some sense, uh, it's a diminution of our community that we value the wrong things. I have decided to do this video. It has been weighing very heavily on my heart. I um, want to come out and say uh, that I do not support George Floyd and the media depiction of him as a martyr for black America. I'm going to explain why, and I hope that some of you guys will understand where I'm coming from. I want to be clear, this is not a defense for Derek Chauvin. I hope Derek Chauvin gets the justice that, um, that he deserves to be um, you know, implemented upon him and that the family um, of George Floyd deserves justice. And this is, a, this is a common trope, I think, amongst conservative blacks, which is that the black community is guilty not all of them, not universally, but a lot of them. No, like Larry I, I got that. you. I, I, just, I just think, I, I, I agree. I just want to expand it. I think, it, I think it's a common issue with politics and, and, and media-facing people in general, this idea that everybody can't have a background. If you're, you know what I mean? But go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to get you in, but I just want to, just to finish the thought. Yeah, I think it's a common trope, but specifically levied by the likes of Candace Owens and Larry Elder, those types. Um that we have a culture problem. And the only thing holding black people back are elements of our culture that are toxic that we perpetuate and reify. Um, and that feeds into, I think, this bootstrap ideology, which is if we would just get out of our own way, we would be able to succeed in the greatest country in the world, America first, rah, rah, MAGA that, MAGA this, MAGA that. I, I, I think that there is a substantive critique of that point of view. And I wanted to lead with that because it's the extent to which I actually disagree vehemently with people on the right in general, but with Candace Owens in particular, I think that they've misconstrued fundamentally the nature of how systemic problems impact people. And it's not just a matter of bootstrapping your way out of things. I do think though, that there is room also in tandem with systemic forces to talk about personal responsibility and the agency that black people have and the bad decisions that we often make that negatively impact ourselves. There's space to talk about that too. What we don't like, though, and where the people left of center have the, have a point in disagreeing with Candace Owens is, if you want to talk about that exclusively and ignore systemic factors that have negatively set Black people back, 
historically and all of the ripple effects that still continue to now in 2022 that you're not and having your position and your position in continuing that because she's definitely as much as she talks about tokenism she's she plays into the token stuff all the time fair, fair enough and, and but there's substantive critique to be had even of that side so this is me kind of being in the middle but genuinely so not just for the sake of this conversation i genuinely believe everything i just said so with that i want to throw it to you first you malik and then after dre um wh wh what are your thoughts on kind of the well, position i mean if you're gonna throw it to me let me let me just let me just speak so i, I know yeah. that you have the general questions i want you to ask that but i want to respond to what you were saying that's what i'm asking I you think... to do I'm asking you to huh? respond to what I just said. I'm asking you to respond to okay, what I just said. Okay, my bad. Um, so I think that I think that my issue with, with Candace Owens it, within that critique of like we are trying to martyr a criminal, I, I I think what I'm trying to figure out is like, so what is your end game? What is your perfect world? Like is your perfect world in which we have the people that we martyr are people that don't have any type of um, history of like things like you could say that they did wrong because that would be nobody. Furthermore, you can't point to anybody on either what white people do or with anybody's subset of people. History has to do with a lot with, uh, history has a lot to do with like who's telling the story, right? Even the presidents have histories of doing different things. And so I think that it's, it's okay to talk about the idea of drug use and whether or not he was using drugs and, and, and to give a full picture because I think that's fine. But I think this idea of, well, now, because it comes off as like, well, he deserves what he got because of whatever, right? And I think that mm -hmm. that's kind of the problem. And I think that another issue I have with Candace Owens is that like she played in the beginning Dave Chappelle and you know, I'm a stand Dave Chappelle. So that's just what that is. So that's a side note. Like Candace Owens. That rotten bitch. If anybody's gonna pretend to get their feelings hurt about what we say about Candace Owens, I will laugh and laugh and laugh. I don't care what this did. I don't care if he personally kicked Candace Owens and her stinky pussy. I don't know if it stinks, but I imagine it does. And then at that moment, it became personal. I don't think he could do too much wrong, but when he was saying, like, I don't care what he did, you know? he didn't deserve to, to die the way he died, right? And even if you go with the idea that he was overdosed, if I'm running with her idea that he was, he had took too many drugs and he was in a, in a, in a mix of, uh, of overdosing, right? How that situation was handled contributed to his death. And that, and, and that should be the bottom line. And, and I think the issue I have with her is that there's a, and, and, and this is the same issue I have with you sometimes, is attempt to be quote unquote middle, in the middle or be, um, objective you lose empathy and i think as a, as a black woman if she wants to talk about other black women capitalizing on the black deaths of people she's doing the same shit and i think that i i wonder if if there could be a little bit because i'm interested enough in candace owens to, to 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 wonder if she could do a deep dive into understanding like how much she's playing into a lot of the tropes that she's saying that she's trying to call out but nevertheless i, I did also appreciate um, being able to look at what where they were doing with spending the money, and I, and I do, and I think that it did give me a a, a perspective change on how I see Black Lives Matter because I was already from a, a from a curriculum point of view, like when I tried to pull some of their curriculum to do some of the work we were doing in uh, over at uh, over at uh, over at Kip, 
Um, I, I already had some like intellectual issues, but now that I'm seeing what they're doing, the money, I, I feel like I, I, I feel like that type of stuff does need to be exposed. So I do appreciate her for that. Dre, I want you to get in as well and opine on some of your thoughts. You can respond to what I said, or you can kind of give your own thoughts or respond okay. to some things that Malik said. Yeah. So I believe uh, believe what Malik said was a uh, you know was 100 percent right. Um, we can look at that as she's playing into the same games that she's saying these other people are doing. Now, when the documentary starts, again, uh, I'm gonna just explain this and make it real quick. I was triggered because I was shot at by a police officer when I was 17 years old, on my way to K-State, two football, I mean, a football scholarship, theater scholarship. Um, I was in my community I was doing, um, I was working with a, uh, at 17, and this is before you got any credits for being out in the community, doing doing community stuff. So I was working with a, with a group called STRAP, which, uh, which stands for Students Together Rising Gets Packed in Pieces. I was working um, alongside the YWCA at that time. Um, I was working in my community with different type of activists to try to see uh after the death of my friend what kind of things that we could be able to change in our community so uh we didn't have young kids dying over you know you know trivial you know things that could have been avoided there's there's work that needs to be done and when that situation happened to me because i i I would tell you i'm I'm gonna keep this brief but i ran from a cop in my car i didn't want to pull over he's trying to pull me over to speed and and for some reason, I don't know if I thought this was Dukes of Hazard or whatever the fact, but I took off on it. Wrong decision. That was my fault. Uh, the Him pulling me out the car and couldn't and deciding to shoot was not my fault. That's why I could be, a, be able to be here and, and talk about this. Uh, and anytime I see this with George Floyd, because that's the first thing that you see on the documentary, it is triggering. Just like uh, Philando Castile's uh, situation was very triggering. Um, so it was triggering. Uh, but for the reason, for this particular reason, after I got out of my mess and we come to find out that, you know, the, 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 in my case, we had a situation where the cop lied on the stand. So I didn't say I got off, but I got my record expunged because uh, of what happened. And with this particular situation, I see what the cop tried to do to subdue Mr. Floyd. And I worked years later, you know, six years later as a corrections officer. And we were trained by KCPD. And I was talking to Jason about this off uh, off camera that we were trained by KCPD. And KCPD shows you each technique to be able to handle and subdue a person. And I worked at a jail where it was an open jail. So it's easy to be able to show you how to subdue a person. Where the cop made a mistake at is that when he, instead of putting his knee on his neck, if he would have put his hand or his forearm right here and held him down, or what we were told is it's a snake technique, like you, the way that you handle a snake is by the neck. So if he would have held him down with two hands, not pressing on his spine, on his actual neck, but you're really just holding him down, literally pressing your thumbs against his shoulders, and holding them down while still putting your knee towards the, the, the side of this back, you wouldn't have had a situation with George Floyd. But in that moment, I, because, you know, he's being harassed by 
the people filming. They say, hey, you know, dude's telling you to get up. He can't breathe. And his ego got the best of him. This is why George Floyd is where, you know, this is why he passed. So when she puts up this clip of us, of literally a blink if you miss it. Oh, no, the body cam shows that his knee was on his on his shoulder. Do us a blink if you miss it. Dr. Ron Martinelli, forensic criminologist and certified medical investigator and police practices expert. Let me just preface uh, this. You know, I have no dog in the fight here. All right. We classically get a lot of officer involved shootings and in custody deaths, but we we take them from all sides. So my my advocacy is for facts and evidence, not for people or entities. So if the officers are doing what they're supposed to be doing as they were trained to do it, I'm going to tell you if they're not. I'm also going to tell you that. What was your assessment of the police behavior in seeing the full video and seeing how things played out? They make contact with Mr. Floyd, and that is totally appropriate because they're investigating a third person's report of criminality. Not moving. Put your hands behind your back then. Stop resisting, man. Stand up. Please, please, man. Stand up. Why are you doing me like this? Stand up. Come on. We're trying to get out of the street here so you don't get hit by a car. So for the officers, what they have to do is they have to begin an investigation to ask him probative questions, seeking more evidence to determine whether a crime has occurred. All right, what's your name? George. We're here because it sounds like you gave a fake bill to the individuals in there. Yeah. So once they put the handcuffs on Mr. Floyd, Mr. Floyd should have known, albeit he's under the influence of drugs, that he must obey the officer's directions, orders, and commands. He cannot resist arrest. I hear you, but you are going to face the door right now. Listen up, stop. I will leave Please, don't do Take a seat. I'm going in, Mr. I'm going No, you're not. And so when Mr. Floyd gets in a car and and he claims that he's claustrophobic. Right. Claustrophobic is exactly what he said. I'm claustrophobic. I think if I was an officer, I'd be saying, wait a minute, you showed up in a car. You wouldn't get in a car if you thought you were claustrophobic. The officers placed him in a position that's referred to as the maximum restraint position. In other words, he's prone, stomach down, on the ground. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, good morning. We plan to prove to you, beyond a reasonable doubt, that Mr. Chauvin was anything other than innocent. On May 25th of 2020, Mr. Derek Chauvin used excessive and unreasonable force upon the body of Mr. George Floyd until the very breath, no ladies and gentlemen, until the very life were squeezed out of him. You would agree, Chief, that from the perspective of Miss Frazier's camera, it appears that Officer Chauvin's knee is on the neck of Mr. Floyd. Yes. Would you agree that from the perspective of Officer King's body camera, it appears that Officer Chauvin's knee was more on Mr. Floyd's shoulder blade? Um, yes. They had to have the jury believe 
that it was a neck restraint, it was the knee on the neck, it was asphyxiation that killed George Floyd. However, there was a ton of evidence that George Floyd consumed a toxic, lethal cocktail of fentanyl and methamphetamine. Did it appear that Mr. Floyd said, I ate too many drugs? Yes, it did. Let's put it in perspective. Three grains of fentanyl on the head of a lead pencil, enough to kill you, enough to kill me. And so they had to continuously inculcate the public to believe that Derek Chauvin intentionally, premeditatedly murdered George Floyd and drugs had absolutely nothing to do with it. As, as Lindsay and the toxicologist presented that awful testimony. Do you recall describing the level of fentanyl as a fatal level of fentanyl? I recall describing it in other circumstances. It would be a fatal level, yes, in other circumstances. Had Mr. Floyd been home alone in his locked residence with no evidence of trauma, and the only autopsy finding was that fentanyl level, then yes, I would certify his death as due to fentanyl toxicity. I know I can't breathe. 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 Here, come on out. The autopsy is generally broken down by number one, how the body is presented and uh, you know what his height and weight is and then it goes through the neurological system uh, exterior trauma interior trauma but i go right to the cardiovascular system and there i look at the heart weight how much does the heart weigh and then i take a look for key words i compare the heart weight to the height and weight of the individual to what the toxicology report says and I look for certain words or evidence of something called cardiomegaly. Cardiomegaly means an enlarged heart. And if a person has cardiomegaly, their chances of sudden cardiac arrest rise by 150 times, not 150%, 150 times. That is significant. And then we have the whole issue of the police encounter and the basal metabolic rate rising. Think about him being agitated, chaotic, excited, and his heart is pumping, pumping, pumping. There is zero empirical forensic evidence, medical evidence, of any biological mechanism, physiological mechanism that would have interfered with George Floyd's ability to get sufficient oxygenated blood up into the brain. There, there's zero evidence of that. But we also have the camera shot of nine minutes of this man on, on his neck. So that narrative that she was trying to paint on George Floyd is kind of unfair to say that he kind of, because he was high, there's a way that you, there, there, there's verbal judo and there's a way that you handle uh, particular people, whether he's high or he's um, a mentally ill patient. There's still ways to handle yeah. that. And it was handled yeah. terribly wrong. It, it is yeah. what it is. No, I, and, and I think that, because I'm glad that you're able to bring the expertise around 
the specifics around what it would take for you to be able to switch the way that you actually handled that situation. That's one thing. I think from my point of view, I think there's a way that you treat human beings that you're not scared of. Yeah. And I think that there's a way that you treat human beings with empathy when you have, when you're, when you're law enforcement and you know that you're there to serve and, and you're not there to dictate, you know what I mean? And so my thing is like, there, you don't have to, nobody has to tell me in every state, the different ways that they're, the procedures are to, to handle that situation. We already know that when that cops know how to, how to make people who just shot somebody come back alive. You know what I mean? So it's like that wasn't done. And I think that it, I think it kind of, it kind of throws the idea of not just bootstraps, but this idea that, and I thought that's where you were going with your story. That even if you are the person that is in the community and doing and going to K State and doing those things, you're still liable because you're black, as Jay Z would say, niggas, you still nigga. And in my particular case, when they're talking about the media, and, 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 and this is the part where I disagreed with Candace, is that there was like all they made Derek Chev- uh, Chevron uh, Chauvin. or Chauvin. They made him a, you know, he's, he, you know, he did all these wonderful things. He was a great police officer and the media made him a monster. What's crazy in the retrospect is to realize that everybody reacted. Nobody knew who George Floyd was, but also nobody knew who Derek Chauvin was. I can't imagine raising up a child and loving a child and knowing who he is and watching the media in virtually minutes be able to strip that person of their identity and to create a new identity for them. I felt her pain. I did. I just, I felt her pain. And I felt that the only thing we could offer to do was to expand on who Derek Chauvin actually was. People were, were taking a picture, a, not even a picture, a still from a video and saying, Satan, this is, this is your Satan. People were taking a, a storyline that was given to them from the media and saying, here it is, George Floyd, he's your hero. That's it. That's the story. The end. It's insane. Well, what do you think that they did to me? And what do you think that they do to everyone who is guilty before proven innocent? This is what the media does. So I do agree with her. This says, because she opened up with the Malcolm X quote. You know what I'm saying? It ended with the Malcolm X quote about the media. The media does paint everyone in a negative. That's their job. I hate to tell you that, but the job is to, it's almost like clickbait. It's, it's to get you invested or I, to get you pointed into a narrative to be able to uh, figure out what side of the coin you want, whether you want, yeah, uh, or whether you're on the left or right, whether you A or B, whether you, it doesn't matter. They want you yeah. to get let me, on let me, a well, let me, I will modify that slightly. I think that um, there's such a thing as media bias. And so the media relative to their bias will pay people in a negative light, but they also will pay people in a positive light who perhaps don't deserve it as well. Um, and that's usually a reflection of their bias in terms of their bias, in terms of presenting figures publicly. Uh, this is especially true when it comes to politics. So if you have <clears throat> left-leaning media outlets, <clears throat> they tend to be a very, very slow to be publicly critical of people who are left-leaning or who are on their side politically. The same is true of reverse of right-leaning sources. So Fox News tends to be slow to criticize right-leaning figures in general. 
than they are uh, left-leaning figures. And I think that that's, that's a manifestation of uh, political bias that's kind of writ large. But also, these biases don't have to be political. They can be, they can be racial. They can be, they, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can be biased in the media. And so I think the media will paint people that are, that they're biased towards favorably and biased against negative. Yeah, but I, I think, and I think that's why I'm okay with listening to Candace Owens or anybody else because I would like to be able to form an opinion myself. Right. And I, and I think that that doing that on either side is problematic. Like that's the, that's kind of the issue. Like, and that, like, I don't think that anybody, like, I think that her interrogating his character instead of just staying with the facts of what happened is the, the problem. And that's for whatever reason it has become fashionable over the last uh, five or six years for us to turn criminals into heroes overnight. Um, and it is something that I find to be despicable and it's something that I refuse to stand by any longer and I am not going to play a part in it no matter how much pressure comes from black liberals and black conservatives as, as some token of people wanting you to believe that this is the only way you can be black is you have to say this was wrong and that this, you know, this person was amazing. I won't do that. Why are we protecting that this criminal should be upheld as a citizen, uh, 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 as a martyr in black America. A martyr for a fake narrative, by the way. You imagine how absolutely traumatized that child was. And then you think to yourself, just a few years later, and um, you will have children that are wearing his shirt, referring to him as a hero, as some, as some sort of savior, right? That's wrong. <laughs> it's not right at all. And it was this case that I couldn't stay quiet on. And I had to make that video. In 1998, he spent 10 months in prison for theft with a firearm. In 2002, he spent eight months in prison for a cocaine offense. 2004, just two years later, he spent another 10 months in prison for a cocaine offense. By the way, I am not saying that if you have a record, you don't deserve a second chance. I do draw the line when it comes to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth, ch and ninth chances. Two things can be true at once. <laughs> you can both say that George Floyd didn't deserve to die, no matter how you believe he died. Nobody de deserves to die, in my opinion. And you can also say that objectively, this person that did die was not a saint. This person was not an angel. And that's, and that's one of the ways in which the right goes into the right leaning is they, or not just the right, both sides do that. Like they wanna, they wanna they'll try to excuse somebody by saying, oh, well, he's a great person. Or they'll try to try to say try to demonize somebody by saying, "Well, see, obviously he deserved an X, Y, and Z." And I think that that in itself is messed up, right? Like that's well, the problem right there. I think she was, I, and and again, I'm not defending her because anybody could watch this for themselves. I'm giving a logical thought on this. My thinking was she was trying to point out that 
we don't need to use this person as a martyr. And that's what she kept saying. This guy is okay. not a hero. We're putting it, we're painting so, him as a hero. And my my thought when she said that is like, okay, you know, first of all, he's still a human being no matter what he's what what he's done. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, prior prior to, you know, and I understand she she um uh, pointed out that uh he was a part of a home invasion and some little seven year old boy uh pointed him out and said, Yeah, that was Mr. Floyd that came and robbed me or whatever the uh, the, the fact. Uh, I, he did his crime. I mean, he he did the crime, did the time, you know. So we need to point that out too. Did he go to jail for this? Did he do his time? And what you were talking about the empathy portion of it. Yes, she does have to point out the empathetic side of of, of this. Like, okay, he's still a human being, and just because he has this criminal record, just because he's high on, I don't care if he's high on crack, fentanyl, meth. You know what I'm saying? Weed. You know, it, all of, all of it together is how do you treat the human being, and you right. cannot you cannot treat the human being less than you know. I understand not making him Martin Luther King. I get that, but you can't treat him and go publicly and say this man was a criminal. This man was, and that's the problem that I have with Kansas yeah. when that happened. You know yeah, what because I mean? my my thing is, what is the implication of that? The implication of saying, "Oh, well, he was a criminal," which is basically saying, "Well, he got what he deserved," right? He, 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 that, that's that's what that's the issue I have with. Uh, well, to be fair though, she explicitly said that's not what I'm saying. By the way, I am not saying that if you have a record, you don't deserve a second chance. I do draw the line when it comes to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth ch- and ninth chances. In her rant, and I've watched the entire rant several times. Um, she yeah. she said, "I'm I'm not saying." that George Floyd deserved to die. I don't care how many, I don't care how long your rap sheet is. No one deserves to die. She said something to that effect. Yeah, she did. She um, said and I, that and I actually think that, that clip was actually put in the beginning of the documentary. Uh, yes. But what, she's, what, what her, her beef seemed to be to, and I'm only trying to steel man her position based on what I heard her say. Um, not Because not, I still disagree with it, but I'm just trying to steel man it. I, I think her, the way she argued, her main concern is, why, why do we have all of these examples of hero worship for a person who is guilty of all of these atrocities, that the very same people who ideologically right now are building statues to his name, putting them on shirts, saying his name, like they even would disagree vehemently with the stuff that he did. And I yeah. think that that's an interesting but, question. But can we, so, we can, we so, can, we so, can so, um, not to cut you off real quick, but I wanted to just make this point. Can we actually say the same thing about the history of this country? how they clearly have statues of people who have done atrocities, especially the people, black people in America. And people say, well, that's my history. And totally we ignore the fact of what they did to those two said people. You see what I there, mean? There, there's, there's a similarity there, but there are also facts so, that are different because, because of the, because of the nature of, of, of our, how do I say this? Well, I'll save it because I don't want to go into another discussion. I will say that there are some key differences that we that we ought not forget. However, there there are substantive similarities, and so I like I like the comparison in virtue of the similarities, just well, just in the same way that our, the people that we that we erect as heroes in so history have I, a, have a dark past, and we and we don't have we seem to not we seem to have normed on like ignoring their atrocities in favor of whatever they're supposed to have contributed. 
why can't we do that for George Floyd? That's the crux of what you're saying. I understand that. And I wanted to acknowledge that. But go ahead. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's um, there's an episode of Atlanta, season three, episode four, my favorite one called uh, The Big Payback. And it's about reparations. Um, has anybody seen that? I no, know. I just seen the episode where Kevin Sanders was on there, but that's it. <laughs> okay, so that was in the same season, and that was and that was one of the anthology episodes. And this is one of this is the second anthology episode that I'm talking about. And there is a character that he uses, um, black woman character he uses as basically the person that is uh, championing getting the reparations, right? And the thing about her is she's your stereotypical, really loud black woman that's just acting all ghetto and doing the most or whatever. Right. And a lot of people were um, put off by like, damn, man, like out of all the images you got to put up there, a black woman, why you got to put that image up there? Because she was the one that was that was getting that was going to get ready to get reparations, because in the episode, a law passed. It became legally president for people to figure out if you had um, if you had a. Uh, if your ancestors had enslaved their ancestors, so now they could sue you for your money. So she was suing the the, the main white character in that episode um, for his money. She was loud and obnoxious in X, Y, and Z. And I think that the reason why he put that in there is because in the United States, we have not only a meritocracy system that doesn't make any sense, but we have this exceptionalism thing where like, it's kind of like the Bill Cosby pull your pants up thing. It's like, well, I need to make sure that I pull my pants up and that I have a lineup and I do all these professionalism things in order to be treated like a human being. And I think that that's the issue is that we need to be treating similar to when me and Jason was at the school. We don't get to get to treat the kids that are doing what we tell them to do with respect. We, we treat everybody with respect because a human beings deserve respect. And I think that's the issue, regardless of whether or not she's saying that's not what she's doing. That is what you do when you bring up, when you highlight, when something happens to somebody, if, if, a, if a student disrespects me, right? And I bring up to the mom that, well, you know, the students be doing all these bad things or whatever, right? Like, and I start talking about the student's character or whatever, right? Then I'm taken away from the fact that I did something wrong to the student if I was yelling at them or whatever, right? Because I'm trying to deflect and make it seem like it's one thing that it's not. And I think that that's the problem we have with the United States is that in general too, is that we are always looking for a, a, a logic to, 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 to show that the people that, that they, the people who are being treated or being marginalized deserve it because of their own inherent fallacy. And, and I think that that's the problem with her. You mean fallibility? You mean fallibility? Huh? Fallibility? Yes, or or really just character flaws, idiosyncratic uh, like character flaws in general. Like I think that that's the issue, and I think that the I mean the problem with that is it doesn't make sense because it doesn't matter. Like if you have systems or like if you have a culture in place that sees me as a black man as an inherent threat just because I'm a black man, it doesn't matter if I went to Clark Atlanta and I got my graduate degree out of LMU and X Y and Z. Nobody's gonna see that, right? Like people people are gonna treat me how they're gonna however they're gonna treat me, and so like the issue at hand is the treatment <laughs> of George Floyd in that situation. I don't care. Well, about do you the think that it was solely well, because he was a well, black man, or was well, there more to it than that? Well, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. It's because it's because he's a, it's because of how he was treated, right? And, and and what that speaks to how black men are treated. Well, and I'm not, I'm not denying. Dying. I'm not denying so, that, that. Hold on. I'm not denying that that's relevant. But the 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 pushback that I'm trying to offer is I'm trying to push you to think about these other nuances too. I don't know how accurate it is, and I, I'm being genuine right now. I don't know how accurate it is to say it is to say 
of George Floyd that the sole reason why he was perceived as a threat in those moments, given what we saw in the body cam footage, was because he was a black man, or even because he was a big, well-built black man, and and whatever threat that might imply uh, in terms of whatever damage he might be able to do, because that that see, I, to me seems to turn a blind eye to how erratic he was acting. No, he well, was also but, he was also doing something illegal, right? And he had he had a counterfeit bill, which is real. Like those are no, all no, the I'm things not talking about the wait, wait, wait. To be, I want to be very clear about what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the the bill right now. I'm talking about how erratic he was acting. Okay, so let me put ask. him in the back of the seat. Hold on, wait, wait. Because 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 I think it would be reasonable for anyone, no matter what their skin color, who's acting that way, to perceive them as a possible threat, and if you're acting in the line of duty. So if, if we don't take that into account, then it makes it easier to make claims like the sole reason that they perceived George Floyd as a threat was because he was a black man, and I don't know how accurate that is. Okay, so let me let me let me just kind of give you uh, kind of from that world of law enforcement that was in for four years. Uh, we were taught when a guy comes in, you know, we're the city jail, so everybody's coming in from the city or whatever, and we take them to court. You got to treat them as criminals. Don't be engaging in conversation. This you got to separate the two. And this is from the senior officer that was training me day one. By day, by year four, I still have to talk, and I and I learned this from older guys who was there, who was like, "No, these are still human beings. You have to treat them as such. Just because they did, they could be doing the most horrific thing. While they're in your care, you still have you still have to treat them as such." So I had one senior officer that's training me was like, "No." You, you, if they do something, just as the way you handle it, you go in there and you, you, you're, it suits your authority. And then I had one other person that was the same color as me. That's not how you do it. If you want something done, you have to be able to not necessarily come on a level, but you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes and show that empathy and be able to still guide them and lead them to where they need to go to be able to get the, the best result. So I, I, because I, I, I understand what you're saying, Jason, is that the perceived notion that they came, that the detectives came there, the, the big black man acting a fool, you know what I'm saying? We got to perceive this as a threat. They have to think like that. They're taught to think everything that's erratic is a threat. So I can't, I, I'm with you. I can't say that they put that as far as being black, but I do know there's a little bit more sting with it when you go to, hold on, wait a minute. When you go to a black community and you're not from that that neighborhood or that area, that they try to no, you got to hammer this home. You can't treat them. You got to treat them like well, like quick, this. Quick correction. I I think it would also be false to say that <laughs> perceiving George Floyd as a big black man had, had 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 no bearing on their perception of him as a threat. Like I think that goes too far on the other extreme. What I was trying to say was that that saying that that's the only reason why they saw him as a threat isn't quite accurate either. So again, this is me being in the middle between two extremes. One extreme is he was only perceived as a threat because he was behaving in a way that reasonably one would perceive as a threat. That's one extreme. The other one is he was only perceived as a threat solely because he was black. Those no, so what I'm wrong. saying with mine is that is that I can see like obviously he was acting a certain kind of way, but what I'm saying is that, and I think I always hear it when Dre talks, is that there's a certain way that you treat that you treat human beings. And I feel like him being a, a well-built black man compounded upon the issue in a way that doesn't need to be compounded upon 
at all. And I think that's kind of the uh, that's kind of why it's easier to say, well, it's because he's black. It's like it, it's not because you're black. It's like 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 even with Dre's situation, when black people do something wrong, the way that we get hammered down is different than when everybody else does something wrong. And and I don't think that if because not even that I don't think it's just it, I mean I've seen it like period but, like but, in, in an actual so, period I don't think that if he was a small white woman acting that way with the same circumstances he would have been treated yeah, she, because, he, that person that person would have been treated small the same way. white woman what if he was built like and looked like John Cena I still I don't mean, think that he would have been treated I still don't think he would have ended up dead. I, I, I have I, no idea whether he would have ended up dead, but would he be, have been perceived as a threat? I think I, sincerely. I yes, don't he think he was because perceived. anybody who's built like John Cena <laughs> is going to be perceived. At least there's a, or I should say, there's a high potential that police officers. No, are going for to sure, them for, threat, sure. Not for sure, not because no, of for their sure. color, but, but, but because of how, I, because of think... because they're being built like that. No, 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 you don't have to explain that. I get, okay, I, I understand cool. that. I understand that. Okay. And that's reasonable. And I, I think okay. I might have went to a little bit of the extreme by saying a small white woman. But what I mean is that there are certain things that I think we generally agree shouldn't contribute to whether or not you think somebody something's a, a greater risk or not. And whether or not somebody's a bigger built person does, I think we can all can say that does somebody who's 230, who's built like LeBron James is more threatening mm-hmm. or physically threatening, that is, to somebody who's who's smaller. Right. Like like me. Right. And so that's fine. But I think that what I'm trying to say is compounding is that he was black. Him being a well-built I do. black man I is, do is, is, what, is what is what compounds. Right. And I, I, think I, again, I agree. I agree with that. I, I agree with and, that. And so, and I think that what I'm and again, to go to what my uh, critique of Candace Owens is, is I feel like as a black woman, and I feel like within the conservative movement, they don't have that empathy piece around understanding a shared experience of like, we are treated differently. They want to live in a world in which, no, it's just because of my merit. It's just because of my virtues. If, I, if my character is, is right, then I will be treated in, in this like colorblind way. And that's and even if they have, because there are exceptions, gotten gotten to a certain platforms or certain levels, socioeconomically or whatever, with that mentality, they're losing the impact. Like even with me, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing okay with. But that doesn't keep me from empathizing and, and realizing through my own experiences that that does happen to people, especially the most vulnerable people, right? Because there's yeah, other you, things that compound, guys, like being, well, like well, being, let me, let a, me, like being in poverty compounds it. Well, let me. Okay, but let me establish what I'm trying to get. So, I think that there, part of what makes this difficult to discuss sometimes is the unique historical trajectory, let's call it for lack of a better term, of Black people in America has extensive periods where Black people were objectively and undeniably treated differently um, in various different ways, but but especially with respect to the law and the way that, the, that they were policed than other groups. And so our knowledge of that long history is informing our perceptions of how these things are done even today. Because fundamentally, there are there is a large contingent of people who I think fairly understandably suspect, if not outright just believe blindly without any evidence whatsoever, that those things have been mainly preserved. Those kinds of ways of treating black people by police have been mainly preserved with very little change all the way until now. And I think that that's a little bit extreme. However, I do think that there are a bunch of instances that we could cite where black people were mistreated by police 
and I think that we can prove it. I don't yeah, think every I, I think that on, there's wait, the actual epigenetics of that trauma. So that's actually passed down. It's not just that we think. The trauma's actually passed down. And on the other end, too. Wait, let me finish, dude. I'm almost done before you respond. Like, what I'm trying to say is every single instance where people generally, particularly in the court of public opinion, perceive that an injustice has been done against a black person ain't necessarily true. And we need to be able to talk about that with just as much comfortability as we're able to talk about the instances where something has been perpetrated wrong, some some tangible harm that was unjust has been perpetrated against a black person. That, that should color our, our discussion. But I think a lot of people, their biases are shaped and informed by what you call the epigenetics of the trauma. But what I'm saying is a long history that we recognize and that is objectively and very well documented. There's no denying that this history exists. There's a long history of that that informs our perception of how we historically have related to police that a lot of people are projecting onto situations now in contemporary times where they don't necessarily apply. And that's why we need to be a little bit more thorough in our, our investigation of what of each one of these cases. Number one, last point. Number two, I actually want to introduce a case where a white person was treated very much, very similarly two months prior to George Floyd, in particular, in almost precisely the same way George Floyd was treated, but it didn't get nearly the coverage that George Floyd got. And I want to pose a question to you about why do you think that that is? Okay, so I'm glad we transitioned to that because I was getting ready to continue to dis disagree on that, on, on a, a couple of different things. Well, I want you to continue saying. to disagree if you want to. No, because it's too small of a, of a point because I just think that you're making it seem like it's something that happened in the, in the history. Like, oh, because this has happened so much in Europe and I, we both can agree, yes, it's been documented, but it's still happening. It's not something that's just history. Well, it happens it, every single day. And with people who have biases against black people are are, 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 are systemic, systemically. I mean, uh, what's up? Does I mean, it happen as frequently as it used to? Yes, I, it happens as frequently as it used to. Like, what's this not, weird? Oh, so there's like, no, so there's no difference in the in the frequency with which black people are are are, are let's say hard no, no, or see, perpetrated against black people. Words, you mean the severity? It, it, so I'm not saying it severity. I'm talking about how the often. Same level. How like, it often. doesn't happen. It is like people, I, like black people, like people can't just get away with being racist nowadays and just openly doing it. But people so, do that type of stuff I, all the time. Wait, let me just wait, 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 I don't believe it happens. No, less I'm not often. saying it happens less I, often. I'm saying the severity is it's, the way that racism is now is way more sophisticated and and, and less severe, less less upfront. I but it doesn't that, mean that it's it's that, that it that the frequency has gone down. Now you guys are from you guys are from the Bay Area. You know you know the the situation that had happened in Oakland uh, with police brutality and stuff like that from the 1970s and and go on. I mean from the 60s and 70s. You know what I'm saying on forward. And you know what's what's what is happening in California as far as policing. It is it is a policing issue when you go in and say these people are inherently troublemakers, so you have to treat them as such. When you're being taught that from the academy on to you know, uh, are you with your? Uh, I, I can't think of what the patrol uh, when you first get on. You're with your training officer. You know what I'm saying? You're with your first training officer. Do you become a beat cop? You know what I'm saying? Until you. That's the emphasis of why there was so much of a, a push of getting more black people in uh, the realm of law enforcement and getting them into these cities so they could be able to have a better relationship with police than to continue to have someone outside of the community that's being taught 
these people are just, I don't care what they're doing, you got to treat them as such. You know what I mean? And they are being. Yeah, but I, I want to acknowledge that that's different than, I acknowledge that that's different than way back in the day, like, or in the 70s and in the, in, in the, in the 60s, where they could be so much upfront about, like, yeah, these niggas and their nigga community, and we are treating them a certain kind of way and, and getting away with a lot more heinous stuff. The severity was obviously different. I, I can admit that. Like, duh. And I, and I can appreciate the progress in that, too. But he was specifically using the word frequency. And I don't think the frequency has changed. I, don't, I think that people are still doing microaggression, still doing shit to, to black people, still. No, I agree. There, there are the, some the that same, are still. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. At the same rate? It may not be at the same rate because you have now yes. everything is filmed. It's just, it's just a different film now. But that implicates My the bad, go ahead, frequency. Dre. Go ahead, How Dre. often it's happening, that, that implicates that question. So that's what I'm trying to get. Is like, like I want to hunker down on this. Like, if, if you're saying that we've made progress, that things are way less overt, but, but somehow inexplicably the frequency with which these kinds of injustices are perpetrated against black people has remained the same, if not increased, is weird. That's no, a very, so, that's so, a very bizarre thing. So what I'm saying is that the black, amount of black people who are probably just uh, pulled out and actually killed or black people who are being abused and actually physically harassed has probably gone down. But the, but the amount of people, of black people just being harassed, being verbally harassed or being more policed or, or be still being seen as, as, as uh, being treated as less than human has remained. So all I'm, cause you know, I'm saying is that it went from me being able to s slap you, Jason, to me now being able to just like give you that extra ticket or whatever because or whatever because I'm trying to make quotas or whatever and it's more systemic and it's more sophisticated but that doesn't mean that the frequency has gone down it just means the severity has gone down that's all that's all I'm saying but what I do want to talk about is what I think you were going with with the question originally is I do have an issue with the way that we sensationalize specifically black male death for the benefit of these people who say they're they're they're, they're being down for the cause and they're just being fucking greedy. And, and they're just capitalizing off of the deaths of black people. And so the news people are capitalizing on it because they get to sensationalize and, and, and meet their numbers and continue their, their their commercial endorsements, right? The politics get to go, specifically to her point, Democrats get to hop on and wear freaking Kente, freaking uh, whatever old girl did, wear Kente and make it seem, and throw the black power fist and make it seem like they're down, right? And then continue to continue to take advantage of our of the black uh, vote as a voting block, right? And we, we play into that shit, right? And then, but this is the one that she's going in on that I completely agree with. Um, and shout out to Kendrick Lamar because he was saying that a, a minute ago is that a lot of these people who say that they're doing this, this the, the groundwork people that we see on the protesters or the there's this hegemony within that in which the people at top are just literally similar to like a Teach for America capitalizing off the misery and trauma of black male death. And yeah, I, mean, I agree with you. I think I agree a thousand percent with you. That, yeah, that, I agree too. I, I think that there are about, people who are. She's right in that. She's right in that sense. Like it sucks that she's going about it in a particular kind of way, but I'm open enough to say, like, you know what? We need to, and and you know what? We need to call out the OGs, so the Al Sharptons and the Reverend and, and, and the Jesse Jacksons and all them because they've been doing the shit. Even even um, much respect to John to, to John Lewis, but him too, like all of them, right? Well, I think to capitalize a fair... off a particular narrative and a particular thing 
of, of making it seem like right. they're 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 fighting for something when really they're just benefiting. And now she's talking about specifically the Black Lives Matter. Black women, black women have been, I will say first, that black women have been in this very sincere way on the front lines of all of our civil rights movements and all of our movements. But right now, and, and it's something that I've experienced with myself, is that because the ways that black women interact with white supremacy differently than black men and how, the way that it reacts to us, at least, black women have been capitalizing off of our deaths. Or not even just in the, not even just in the, in the in the in the extreme of death, capitalizing off of us not doing well. So even in the school systems. Yeah, but that's I think that I don't know that that's careful enough. I, I do think that there's a substantive critique to be had about the ways in which people take advantage of tragedy, um, particularly tragedy among black black men dying uh, by the hands of police officers that there's a substantive critique there. There are many instances that I think that we could cite if we were careful enough where the ways in which people went about uh, raising awareness in ways that that that, that pretty ex exclusively pr uh, uh, profited them monetarily, we would probably criticize, including but not limited to the Al Sharptons and et cetera, people you name. However, I don't know that every instance where money is received by people who are grieving or people who are the family members of, of, of love, lost loved ones. I don't want to lump that under the umbrella of property. Yeah, and I, would, I, wouldn't, I wasn't trying to. If I came off that way, I'm not trying to lump those in, into there. I, I just mean you're, that there you're needs to be talking about who's, who's starting these funds. I'm talking about people who successfully have won right. lawsuits to, to, to get who awarded damages. I'm no, talking yeah, about people no, who have received I'm, donations yeah, out I'm of... All for financial compensation and I'm all for reparations and I'm all for all that. What I'm saying is that there should be no reason why, because only because George Floyd died, you get to buy a $3 million house. Okay, fair enough. So we agree on that. But I, I'm trying to be careful, tediously careful, because the way that you were speaking before, one could reasonably interpret it the way I just illustrated. And, and, and I'm not trying to attribute that to you falsely, but I want to be very careful about what we are talking about. We're talking about a subset of the cases where people earn things or profit monetarily which I, I take for granted that that's what you well, mean. Okay, time. let me be a little bit more specific. I mean, a lot of these organizations, a lot of these nonprofit organizations, similar to what Candace Owens did, needs to, need, like, they need to continue to, to show the spotlight on, well, what the fuck is really going on? Um, and, and how are you actually serving uh, 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 the community that you say that you're serving? Um, because from my actual experience, with not just Black Lives Matter, but with, and not just Black organizations, but people who say that they're doing things for, for people who are poor and all that kind of stuff. I just think that because there really are people doing their work and like, you know, making those sacrifices. Um, and, I, and also I will say that I don't believe that just because you're an activist, you deserve to be poor. I'm just saying that there there is, and again, you know what? There's, a, there's an Atlanta episode I, re I recommend you guys watch. That's the, again, talks about when a paper boy goes and something happens to him racially or whatever, they want him to go and, and endorse this. Um, he wants to, he wants to go and endorse the people. So it's like basically the Ralph Lauren. He said something. He got caught saying something out of pocket. So now he's trying to get all the rappers around him to say that. Oh no, he's actually cool and, and say that he's apologized or whatever, right? Doing this public apology, and they actually go in and start talking to the people who are the activists who are running the show on like, oh yeah, well every time something happens, we know how to capitalize off of it. It's a whole fucking thing. It's so, it's such a, it's, oh, man, it's, yeah. at this point, it's cliche. It's a yeah. thing where, like, 
tragedy happens, well, white people want to apologize. So they go to these certain, they go to these certain movers and shakers who are gonna give them the okay, like, hey, don't worry about it, they cool. Well, do you like, do you do you have similar? Do you feel similarly about? And I'm just curious to see if you would apply it this way, even though it's a little off topic. Do you feel similarly about Colin Kaepernick and the endorsement from Nike at, in the wake of him getting, you know, blackballed from the NFL? Can I, you can think I that answer there's, that? There's a, there's a similar kind of grifting there, or you, do you think that was legitimate? Can I answer that first? Who, who yeah, go ahead, Jay. Well, I'm going to I'm 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 answer that, and I'm going to say no, because and the only reason why I'm going to say no is because I've been following his organizations uh, and where that money is going and how he's donating that money into the community. Now, the endorsement from Nike and stuff like that, he's still putting that in the Know Your Rights Fund. Now, you know what I'm saying? He has still, I, and I get it, Nike endorsed him, he paid some money so he could be able to get the jerseys or whatever. He still has to be able to take care of his family, so I'm not mad at that. At the same time, he still put, you know where that, you know where donations is going with the Know Your Rights camp over what Black Lives, and I didn't even have to see the Candace Owens uh, video to be able to, to not follow this for the last couple of years is what Black Lives Matter has been putting their money at. And it's not it's not in the infrastructure in the inner city either. I know what, that. What percentage of the $30 million that he got from Nike is he putting into his organization? I mean, I don't know the percentage. Uh, well, wouldn't, wouldn't I, that wouldn't that wouldn't that help us evaluate better and more accurately to what if you know if, 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 even if he put even if he put ten percent of third uh, of it that's three million dollars in that organization right so yeah. if you put three million in that organization will it matter but if, if he only put ten million of the whole but if he only put ten thousand of it. But, and, but, and but even, even, so even if it's I will say that's why I was saying yes. I do but, think that it does matter, Jason. I, I do. But I will say that Colin Kaepernick's situation is different because he actually sacrificed his career. Like right. in, he, in, I mean, in that organ in the Know Your Rights organ, he, he did sacrifice. You got to give him. He what do you mean? I mean, his like, like he sacrificed his career. He, he, he didn't actually sacrifice made a sacrifice. his career to get the endorsement from Nike. He no, was no, blackballed. no. What I'm saying. What, what I'm and, saying and, is, is that and, yeah, but he was black. Why? Yeah, he, because he was, of, he was black. He was good. Well, he was okay. So he got blackballed. Wasn't nobody gonna hire him. Nike was invested in what the movie he was doing. Nobody was gonna they, hire him as, but, as a starting quarterback. People were. They weren't gonna hire him. Period. A, they weren't. They no, were let's, let's, let's keep it real. It's not true. They, a, Wait, if that was a, nah, if that was a nah, case, no. Nah, if, nah. if that was a case, the Raiders would have. If that was a case, the Raiders would have been. He would have been the backup quarterback for the Raiders. He actually got offered from two franchises, but the problem was they offered him. No, they offered him roles as a backup. Which he didn't. He was want. never going to be a star. He was that, never going to be a star. That's okay. So, but again. you need to make that qualification. He was never going to be a star. He was never going to. He was never going to play. And the reason why he was, he was never going to. He was never That detail does not actually no, matter. No, yes it does. 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 No, it doesn't. He made a sacrifice by doing what he did. No, it's the difference. It doesn't matter. Offered a job. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who who goes in? What quarterback do you know? That with the caliber of the uh, with the caliber of talent and the resume that's going to go that. in as a backup quarterback anyway, a super a, a quarterback the, who went the to the Super Bowl. Quarterback, the even, former backup quarterback of the former backup quarterback, the former backup quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, or excuse me, of the Raiders who came from the Titans, Marcus Mariota did that. Did he? Not? He's not. A, he never went to a Super Bowl. 
He never went to the Super Bowl. It was one play. None of that. None of that. He was never a pro bowler. So he's not as good as Colin Kaepernick because he never went to a Super Bowl once, I guess. never went to a Super Bowl. The point I'm making is he accepted a backup role before now getting a starting role. So the idea that once you're a backup, you can never be a starter again is just false. No, but so, no, Colin Kaepernick yeah. was blackballed. I'll give you that. But to say no, you can't I'm say yeah. it was blackballed. You can't specific. say it was blackballed. You can't say he was very take a job. Yeah, what exactly. What That's what I'm saying. Like, no, yes, you can. We, what we I'm also saying, he was don't blackballed know from the mechanics of right. what was going to actually happen. Hold on, stop. What I'm saying, he was blackballed from, was the starting position specifically. Okay, that's different from saying that he wasn't offered a job at all. That's not true. So the only thing I'm objecting to is the idea that he wasn't getting any, any offers for any jobs at all. That's it. That's still consistent with him being blackballed from a particular position which he had occupied prior to that, which is the starting position as a quarterback, right? Those are consistent. There's nothing mutually exclusive about those things. He was never, Bringing you back home he was never gonna get a job. He was never gonna get a job because they, they felt that especially with the media covers that he was going that the media and the people in the city was going to treat him worse than they treated michael vick even with his dog uh information so i believe that that's false you believe what's false that you're saying that you know that he was going to get a job and he just he could just could have came in as a backup they would have the, the media the me the local media no matter where he would have went the local media was going to destroy this dude because of the media narrative and the teams did not I want you. The, those teams did not. Why? Those teams did not want to deal with that. Let's just keep it real. Yeah. Wait, I didn't say that. What I said was the idea that once you are a backup, that you can never be a starter again, doesn't make sense. That that just doesn't. Then follow. what teams now? It's reasonable to believe. Okay, but re, so I, I think the Jaguars is one of them. I can look it up though, because I don't want to. I don't want to. Why does he keep leaving and coming back? Um, what, what, I don't want to say it wrong, so I'll look it up, but he was offered from two teams and it was not very likely that he was going to get a starting position on those teams. Right. So I, in that sense, he was blackballed from being a starting position or being a starting quarterback. Right. But like the idea that because he was blackballed from being a starter, that means that he would never be able to be offered a job again is just wrong because actually offered contracts from two teams. He was not oh, under contract when he went to when he went to Seattle. When he went and got that, when he went in uh, Seattle, Pete Carroll was saying, "Oh yeah, we'll sign this dude." Blah 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 blah. We'll give him a try. Nobody was giving this dude a tryout. That's why he hosted his own tryout and did what he did for uh, for the media and said, "I still got it. I still this." And twenty six of those teams came in, and in twenty four of them left because my team was a part of that. They went to go look at Kaepernick. Uh, uh, train over in Georgia. So the narrative that all oh, this dude was just offered these jobs and this was going to happen is false. It's false. I was watching the whole I, thing. I got, it was false. Okay. I got, I got the receipts. So I'll just show it right now. Um, I don't know where Malik went. Hopefully he comes back. Uh, but here, I'll just show. So this is from John Elway. Um, the, this is a bleacher report. Um, hold on, let me let me see what Malik what happened with him. All right, so it, according to this Bleacher Report article, and I'll blow it up a little bit. So, Denver Broncos general manager John Elway said Thursday that three Colin Kaepernick had an opportunity to sign with the team. Um, this was in August of 2018. 
In 2016, LA told reporters that the Broncos had made an offer to Kaepernick, according to CSN Bay Area's Mindy Bach. The contract would have paid a Kaepernick $7 million per season for two seasons. Ways. Oh, another thing, the reason why he, I think, rejected it was because it wasn't that much money, to be fair. Since parting ways the San Francisco 49ers at the end of 2016 season, Kaepernick has gone unsigned. So that's at least one team. He <clears throat> uh, said they made, they made, they made him an offer. Yeah, after an actual contract offer, and he didn't they, want. They it. made, they made, they made, they they made him an offer. What For was in, in 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 the starting quarterback at that time was <coughs> Drew Lock in twenty eighteen. I have I have no idea who who it was. It was Drew Lock. I don't think he would have. I don't so, I don't think he would. Well, vague because when you offer a quarterback, because they compete or whatever. But I I actually think it's reasonable to doubt that he would have been a uh, starting quarterback team because. John Elway, as the general manager, said we offered him a contract, but mm -hmm. there was nothing substantial on that claim. Just like Pete Carroll saying we offered him a mean? tryout, and there was nothing substantial on that claim. Because I can tell, I can say any, what, I can say, you, oh mean? yeah, we offered, we we, we gauged them, we could do because that's what Pete Carroll said. Oh, we gauged them, but were you really serious about really gauging this guy? If John Elway was really serious about that, they would have brought him in for a tryout. I don't never believe. I you, think that was blowing smoke. What we call blowing smoke. LA that is. was blowing blowing smoke because Drew Locke was the quarterback at that time, and we all know Colin Kaepernick is way better than Drew Locke. It could have been matter of fact. It probably I mean, wasn't Drew Locke. It's probably Brock Osweiler. What I'm saying. It could have been you're Brock Osweiler or or uh, Peyton Peyton Lynch or whoever it was. You know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, was, you're you're preaching to the choir, but but my the point I'm making is. When I'm, when I'm, he got blackballed from the starting position, but to say he didn't get offered any jobs is just factually incorrect. I don't unless you're saying John Elway I, I, lied, or I don't believe they like, offered him a contract because because Colin. So John Elway lied. I believe John so. Elway lied. Yeah, just okay. to say facts. Well, I mean, if that's your claim, if that's your claim, okay, fine. If that's your claim, I, I didn't realize you, they, you were saying that, but you would need evidence for that to prove it. But fine, if, if just, you're going to say John Elway like, lied, that's fine. Just like they say, they told but, reporters they made him an offer. What other what, what what other what other evidence do you have that you would did you bring him in for a tryout? If y'all made him an offer in twenty in in um uh the Broncos did bring him in for a tryout. The Broncos did bring him in for a trial, and several teams did, by the way. When not, not just the Broncos. What was this? What was this? Because like, he held a public so the, trial. The he held a public tryout. Yeah, that but that was after 2018. That was in what, 2020, 2019? I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was after that. It was during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, so it says since party wins the San Francisco 49ers in the end of 2016 season, Kaepernick has gone unsigned. The Broncos contact with Kaepernick occurred when he was still with the Niners and before he began kneeling during the playing of the national anthem to protest social injustice and racial inequality. Right, instead of acquiring. Okay, fair enough. Instead of acquiring Kaepernick and signing him to a new deal, Denver went with Trevor Simeon and his starting quarterback <laughs> for two seasons. This this offseason, Denver traded Simeon to the Minnesota Vikings and signed former Vikes signal caller Case Keenum. Uh, since the co the conclusion of the 2016 season, reported interest in Kaepernick across the NFL was negligible. The Baltimore Ravens held talks with Kaepernick last year, so that would have been 2017. Yeah, right? I remember that. And the that. Seattle Seahawks scheduled a workout with workout. him in April, but it was, it was postponed, postponed because he didn't show up, right? No, no. They Pete Carroll went in and said, yeah, we'll let her have Kaepernick and this, that, and the other, and then they turned no. around and canceled on him. I remember that. 
Okay, fair and enough. the the but, whole so and the, the, the whole the thing Baltimore with Baltimore, Ravens, the whole thing with Baltimore is John Harbaugh came out and said, "Yeah, we'll give Kaepernick a try. We'll do this that, and the other, and then turn around." And he also got to work out with and, the Raiders. Well, 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 I know that, and he didn't make it. And, and by that time, you know what I'm saying? He's been out the league for five years, so it didn't even matter. So the whole the, the whole the whole different thing was before the kneeling. The whole thing with with Baltimore was after, and then John and John Harbaugh said, "Yeah, we'll bring them in, and we got this, and we'll do this that, and the other." And they end up signing uh, Robert Griffin the third, and they signed some other jabroni that was there too. You know what I mean? Oh no, that was Seattle that signed some other jabroni that nobody even cared about. You know what I'm saying at that time too. So well, my whole my whole point was the thirty million was and to get because we kind of went way off subject was to, to was to say yes. Um, Kaepernick getting the thirty million from Nike, that was for him. That wasn't for know your know your rights. That was for him. It wasn't for the know your rights camp. It wasn't you know it wasn't like you were donating to be able to uh it was it wasn't donations to be able to give to these organizations or whatever. It wasn't what Black Lives Matter did, and we have to separate the two. He signed a contract with Nike so they can endorse his jersey, and I think it was a shoe. And that's what the the deal was. And now what he did with that money was as far as donating or whatever, you know what I'm saying, was on him after that. But that contract was for him, not like Black Lives Matter. It wasn't a donation. It wasn't like people was giving out their pocket. And, and then he went, he went and just bought stuff. So I think we have to make sure that that narrative is put out there. That's fair. I think it's, I think it's, uh, to, to correct myself, I think it's, uh, Fair to point out that I was wrong about the timing of when he was offered by the Broncos. He was offered by the Broncos before he started kneeling, and that's not trivial. So I want to acknowledge that because I'm not trying to hide that. Um, but I, I could have sworn, but other than the Raiders more recently, I could have sworn that there were a couple of other teams that worked him, not only worked him out, but uh, offered uh, at least two teams. So I'm sure trying to find that right now. Nobody offered um, him a contract. Also, he op- didn't he opt out of his last year uh, with the Niners? Um. So he could have gone all the way Well, this is the situation with John Lynch. For what I understand is that um, there were, especially this was on the cusp of them having a losing season. Colin Kaepernick, even though his numbers were not horrible, you know what I mean? It wasn't as good as the previous season. I uh, um, I can't think of the coach uh, offhand, uh, but – they were going to make wholesale changes anyway, and they were bringing in Mike Shanahan or Cal Shanahan. So they were going to make wholesale changes, and John Lynch basically let them know that, hey, you're not going to be a part of these plans going forward. So that was a conversation that they had. Colin made a move, thinking he was going to get another job, even though the protest was going on, you know, the kneeling, and all of that that caused that stir with the kneeling. You know what I mean? So well, what nobody about the, what offered him What about anything. the workout that he had planned with several different the, teams? There were scouts for several NFL teams, he, and he didn't go. What do you, he, how do you weird, do that? Okay, so that was, what, 2020, where he scheduled a workout so. that he went. It was supposed to be in the, uh, at the uh, Atlanta Falcons workout facility, and then he moved it to some, like, high school. Uh, yeah. Swing his way, and he pissed off everybody. It's because, yeah, what what you, he didn't what want, because what he didn't want to do was paint a narrative uh, he he didn't want the media to to paint a narrative that he's washed up, he's this, he's that. So we made it more open. And I want to say 26 NFL teams sent scouts there 
to go watch it. And so th- those don't count as workouts for those with respect to those teams. That's because he's they didn't offer to take him in. He offered them that he said, "Watch me work out." They wasn't calling him. That's a difference. If I'm begging for wait, a, but they set up. Wait, wait. wait no, but they no, set up a workout in they, the middle they of the did, season. And, 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 oh. and I remember Shannon Sharp said this. They did it out of fallacy because of everything that happened with George Floyd. And now, because people were kneeling now, oh, I well, agree with that. Well, agree. after Colin has been out the league, people were kneeling now because of the whole George Floyd situation. Well, let's give this dude a, so we can make so we can I save agree. face because we're we're using his slogans and we're using his thing. Let's go ahead and save face and let's 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 do it as a uh, as a gesture. I agree. And that's, I think that, and that were, was the problem with Colin had. Colin PR, was like, no. I think that the PR shifted because of the George Floyd protests, and that put pressure on the NFL to try to make it seem as if they weren't blackballing him for racial reasons. Exactly. You're right about that. I agree. However, the, the only thing I was pointing out was, fine, they blackballed him, and then they tried to damage control, but they still offered him a workout in the middle of the year, which is unprecedented, and in some ways, nobody, meant, I think, to, nobody to, to compensate for the... No, but that's what I'm saying. I think it was meant to compensate for his extenuating unique circumstances. And it, to me, it was kind of an admission of guilt, to your point. But, like, fine, they blackballed him, which I've been saying this entire time. They gave him a workout. And then on top, like, what was awkward about that was he didn't participate in the workout. And that gave them a whole bunch of no, excuses they wouldn't he, have otherwise have had. No, what he not did was it. he moved the workout. They were all supposed to meet at the Atlanta training facility. I'm, right, I'm but he this. but he did it and unilaterally moved, and with only and a couple hours moved notice. It because but he did a, it unilaterally without a, with only a couple hours notice. Yeah, he did it. You know, I'm not saying you know the communication was right. I'm not saying the communication that he did just to move it was right. But I do understand a closed workout facility, and then they're writing this narrative saying he's trash, he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. So he wanted. To make because they went in one of the main reasons why they moved it is because he was going to use his camera crew to film it and it was like nah I don't want to I don't you know what I'm saying I don't want uh uh no you can't use your camera crew we're going to use ours and he was like right. nah I'm not with that nah I'm cool you know what I'm saying so you know he felt like they were trying to play him which I can't be mad at that so he made a move and was it the best move? For him at the time, he probably is thinking, yeah. But we already knew that nobody schedules a workout in the middle of the season with 26 NFL teams. Nobody does that. If you need a quarterback, you're going to bring him in. You're going to work him out yourself. And then if it works out, kudos. If it doesn't, the guys go drag back on the street and to another team who loses their quarterback, calls them and say, hey, you know what I'm saying? Come in and get a workout. Blake Boyles was a starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, but do you you don't think that that was a legitimate opportunity? Is that what you're No, about? that was some bull crap. That was some bull, it was some bull job. Do you, do you think he helped that situation at all by moving it? No, I mean, I don't, I, it, it exposed it even more because if it was, if they were really looking for a quarterback, no matter if they would have had it at Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta training facility or on the moon, if you really wanted that quarterback, you're going to get what you want. Tyreek Hill got Tyreek Hill was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, even though he had a case in Oklahoma for strangle, you know what I'm saying, for pleading no contest yeah. to strangulation. So if you want somebody, you're yeah. gonna go get them. Let's stop the narrative. 
that if you don't want something, you're not going to get it. So if they wanted him to be a quarterback, he would have been a quarterback in somebody's team, no matter what he would have did. Prime example of that was uh, Philadelphia going to go get Michael Vick. Prime example. Of I, that. I, I agree with you. It, but there is some interesting questions about why they didn't want him. I think that most teams didn't want him because they didn't want to deal with the PR nightmare. Thank you. And I think that they also, I think that they also, a lot of the owners are ideologically opposed to the kneeling and stuff. Yeah, uh, for I mean, how many? Like how, that. how many? Uh, but I do think that there are some owners that were more amenable to it than others. I do think that there were certain coaches that were more amenable to it than others. But they're GMs. And I just feel like he would have, he would have met. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that about the GM. But what I'm saying is, I think he probably would have maximized his ability to get signed at that time if he would have just did the workout. Now, I, the other thing that I read about was he didn't want to sign. Uh, the uh, there was some kind of document he didn't want to sign that because he had an ongoing li- like yeah. litigating case against the NFL uh, that would undermine that. Yeah. yeah. So because of that, he decided not to do it. I don't know why he waited so close to the date, but he decided not to do it. That was a big reason that was cited. That to me is the most understandable reason, but I don't think it explains why he waited so long, like because a couple hours beforehand. Yeah, it, it. Answer, it just riddle me this. Who's going to hire you if you're suing them? I'm not going to go, I'm not, if I'm suing McDonald's, they're not going to hire me to go shake fries knowing I have an ongoing lawsuit against them. And remember, he had a he had an ongoing lawsuit against the NFL. So all of that, because of the George Floyd, George Floyd situation and everything was going on was to save face. To say, well, we, and, and just to give the narrative, what we get, just like well, we gave him a workout. And he decided to do this and the other to really paint him more in the bad light. Well, he he, he decided cool. they 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 brought um uh what was the former coach of the um of the uh, uh Cincinnati uh Bengals um he, the uh black guy um they brought him uh they brought him down he got pissed off uh you know and they and then they publicly fan flam basing him on television uh i can't think of his name uh the coach or former coach of the uh, cincinnati Bengals, who was the who was the uh defensive coordinator of baltimore ravens because he was going to act in the factory of the baltimore ravens him and ray lewis and then ray lewis went on well the brother dude shouldn't have did this and he shouldn't have did that and we was going to give him a job and we was going to do this and we was going to do that ray lewis you wasn't going to do nothing because you're not the general manager you're not ozzy you're not the new general manager that was coming in after ozzy you're not Jim Hart, John Harbaugh. All you are is a former player who would have probably had a little bit more leeway yeah. as far as a voice. Well, you're not hiring nobody. Here, right? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta concede some stuff. Well, I haven't done the thorough research, but I wasn't able to find uh, what I vaguely remember. Uh, I think it was Shannon Sharp that said that he was offered from at least two teams. Um, he was offered by the Broncos, but that was before he started kneeling. Um, I can't see if any examples where he was offered contracts by teams after he started kneeling. Um, and the only other workout that I know that he had was with the Raiders. So and that was last. And that was, now I can't that was, argue. And that was in the offseason, this past offseason, after right, right, being out the lease for five like, years. What, yeah, five, six years after the fact. Yeah. So I, so can't, I can't at this point prove that he was offered contracts by teams after he kneeled, uh, but but prior to uh, this this most recent workout. And even in, even with that, I don't know that the Raiders ever offered him a contract. They didn't. To be, to be fair. They just offered so, him a workout. So I, I guess I, for now, temporarily, tentatively, because it could change if I find more information, I got to concede that point. Um, I, I do think that there's nuance there around whether or not he added insult to injury. I do think that he was blackballed. I do think that he probably could have gotten some backup spots uh, somewhere. 
yeah, but he wasn't willing to take it because he had a certain amount of he had a certain amount of money he was shooting for. But you, but you, and I, I, I don't right. believe that narrative. Well, I mean, you could say anybody's going to shoot for for whatever money that they feel like they they're owed. Why would you come in and take anything less? When, especially if they're telling you basically to shut up and ball. Because of like, oh, no. of I'm not, I'm not, remember, remember, I'm not saying he should have done it. I'm saying I think that if he if he would have settled, he could have gotten on the team. That's because remember, he's he's suing the NFL, which includes all 32 owners, yeah. and they're asking him, "Are you still going to kneel?" So yeah. if he's and he made it clear, clear as day, I'm not going to stop kneeling until things change. Uh. And then also, so, there were a lot of other players that kneeled that are still in the NFL. Um, so, but they didn't. But they're not exactly. calling Kaepernick. It's kind of like well, Kyra, it's yeah, like it's I, like I it's agree. like. The, I'm, I'm I'm saying that's more evidence that he got blackballed because he was treated yeah. differently from all those other people. Exactly. So we agree that he got blackballed. I just think that if he would have settled, he could have gotten a backup job for sure. That's how I feel. That's my opinion right now. Um, but yeah, I can't find any proof that he was offered contracts like I said earlier. So I have to keep that. Um, Back to the topic proper, and then I'm gonna get you out of here because I know you gotta go. So, oh, I'm, I'm, the I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, um, because I'm looking at your, I'm looking at one of the questions, um, yeah. that you had, and this kind of goes back to, uh, let me see. Um, hold on. I think it was like, was there, uh, Derek, uh, is it Chauvin slander unjustly by Chauvin, the media? Yeah. Chauvin. Slander unjustly by the media as an evil person unfairly, or that the condition merely a spin that the documentary puts on Chauvin, where verifiable facts about Chauvin support your stance. Um, because I wanted to go go into that because again, and before um uh the guy left, when you're uh what's it Tariq? Was that a name? Malik. Malik, I'm sorry. Um with the with the media spin. You have, like I said, I know this person because this happened to me. Because the title of the art, I'll never forget this. Because for one, I was a blip on the, uh, when it happened, it was a little bitty article in the Kansas City Star that was like this big about me. But then once they found out this kid did all of this other extra stuff outside of the charge that I got, it was good kid went bad. Uh, how does a good kid go bad? Or some, some narrative spin. Mm -hmm. And tried to spin it as that I'm just this kid who did all of this great stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'm a monster. Mm -hmm. And I understand two things can be true. Derek Chevron probably was a really good cop. He probably was. I don't know. He could have been a really good cop, right? He could have made a horrible decision on allowing his ego control that situation because he was being jabbed at, which... I know personally, cops, I've worked with cops and I've been on the other side of cops. Cops will treat you a certain different way. Like when I was a corrections officer, I had a cop pull me over for, I bought a car, it was a used car, didn't know the tail light went out like a week after I got it. When he went and pulled me over and pulled me out the car, treated me totally different until I gave him my wallet and my badge was in there. But then it was a totally different, totally different attitude. I had a cop, I'm I'm just sitting at the, you know, I'm sitting at the uh, the bus station. Two cops driving on, driving around the corner, flip me off. I'm looking inside of the car while they're flipping me off. I've also had cops that was cool as that was cool as a fan. So you do have the narrative that 
this guy could have been a good cop and let his ego get to him. Because again, because I know how I was trained by Kansas City Police Department, I was post-A trained, and I was trained on how to be able to sue, to do a criminal at these, you know, it, it, I, I call it wet fishing, when you're flopping all around and stuff like that, and you're trying to get control, and you put that arm, you grab them by the, you know, in the palm of their hand, or you grab, well, you, could you, which the reason why you're grabbing them the palm of your hand, because it's hard to lock your fingers. If you grab them in a pressure point, and you could be able to twist your wrist to put their hands behind their back, put their the base of your forearm on their neck to get them and sue, subdue them on the ground. You know what I'm saying? And if you can't, and if you're a smaller guy like I'm 5'9, 170, you're a smaller guy like me, you call for backup. You know what I'm saying? One cop puts the knee again on the side or on the back, but not so much pressure that you're crushing their spine. You're just really, you're getting them there so you could be able to stop him from flopping. But you're constantly saying, sir, stop resisting. Stop flopping. I'm not trying to hurt. You're constantly reminding them to calm, just calm down. We're not going to hurt you. Just calm, just calm down. We're going to get you in the back of the car. Calm down. We're, you know what I'm saying? And we're going to get you up. You know what I mean? We're trying to calm them down so we don't, escalate the situation we're trying to de-escalate that's what part of communication and verbal judo that i was taught you know what i'm saying where you're giving commands you know sir you want this is what i'm getting ready to do sir if you just do this this is going to happen sir if you come with me over here this is not going to happen you automatically see it de-escalate once he said he was claustrophobic in the car which was some bull crap because we are you know what I'm saying? We already know he was in the car, and I agree with Candace. That was some bull crap with the, uh, uh, with the, uh, for, uh, the, the one guy who was speaking or whatever and talking about how everything went down. Yeah, it was. Some, we know it was some bull crap. He could have gotten the back of that car. You know what I'm saying? Because he was sitting in his car when it happened. At that point, if you know this guy's being erratic, he's he's all over the place. It could be drugs. It could be mental health. You are not the expert on that, so you don't know. What you want to do is try to escalate by talking him down. You know what I'm saying? You have a cop behind him. You know what I'm saying? It will be called a wide stance. So your feet is in between his feet. So you widen out his stance. You put your left or your strongest leg, your right or your left, if you're right hand or left handed, you put, you put your, you get on the side of him. So even if he's handcuffed, if he runs or anything, you literally can trip him up. You know, because your mm -hmm. feet is in between his. So if he runs, you could cross your legs. You're putting him down. That's his fault. You know what I mean? But well, you're still yeah. you're Not still really. finding ways to de-escalate the situation. <clears throat> I'm a, well, one quick note about Derek Chauvin. I don't know that I trust uh, the depiction of Derek Chauvin uh, from the documentary. It, it seems to have I, all I the hallmarks of yeah, spin that a lot of the regular media has, but in the opposite direction. There, there seem to be some nuances there that seem to be, you know, there to consider. Um, I don't know if he deserves 25 years in uh, prison, um, but some kind of accountability, I think, probably uh, he does deserve. Um, so, I, I think the the biggest, the the the, the probably one of the uh, accomplishments of the George Floyd uh, movement was they applied enough pressure in a very public trial to result in the sentence that he got um, because it would have looked really, really bad if he would have gotten anything less harsh. And some people even weren't even satisfied with that. That said, I actually want to switch gears. I want to know before we get out of here, because I got to go soon, um, what your thoughts were on 
uh, what the documentary, what Candace revealed specifically about the use of the funds uh, that Black Lives Matter garnered. Right. Um, do you think that uh, at least some, if not all of those things that were cited were justified use of those funds? Were they misuse of the funds? Like, what do you think? Misuse, extreme misuse. Um, to pull on the heart, for, for one, to pull on the heartstrings of Black America, knowing that the height of, oh, I, I, I won't say because this is always going on as far as like Blacks being shot. We can go back to the 60s, the 70s. Malcolm X holding up the paper, you know, about the kid that, 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 was, that was murdered, Fred Hampton. We can go, we can go down the list. So this is right. nothing new. But to escalate the situation to the point of now we're making we're getting money getting these donations and pulling on the heartstrings and not use utilizing that money for the right reasons using that money to fund lgbt which that was that's been said for god knows how long that you know the two women um that started black lives matter was part of the lgbt community and they were going to use well, their funds for that. Well, I don't. According according to Candace Owens, though, uh, it seems like only let's see something like two point eight million, two point six, two point eight million of the ninety million went towards uh, either trans or LGBT. Why causes? What does that have to do with do with police police brutality? Well, I. I, I don't know, but I mean, yeah, I guess what I'm trying I'm... to point out is it's 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 a small percentage of the total. It doesn't matter. So is it much to do about nothing insofar as it wasn't like the the the, the biggest thing that they donated they used their money for was uh, investing in investing in stock markets. Thirty two million. That's almost half. Uh, well, really, it's a third if you count ninety. They they uh, her, the statement she had only had eighty recorded on there, mm -hmm. but they reportedly got north of ninety. Yeah. Um, so there's there's you know there's there's ten plus million unaccounted for. Yeah, but out of the ninety, if you want to go with ninety, if only two point six million, which is you know a thirtieth uh, or something, they're at, like close to that. Uh, one might be able to argue that you know focusing in on that narrowly is in some sense missing the big picture because you the majority was, of their funds might have went elsewhere. What do you what do you say to something like that? You said so. You said ninety million went to. I mean, they got accounted for ninety million, but uh, uh but two point six million was donated to uh, uh, LGBT. Two point three million. Two point three million. So uh, yeah. So my question. No, sorry, uh, you're right. No, you had it right the first time. Two point six million. Sorry, so so if two point six million, let me see, because I'm trying to. So if 10% of that is 9 million, of 90 is 9 million. So it's less than, it's about 3%, right? Let's just get call it 3%. So what does that have to do with police brutality? Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm playing devil's advocate because I, I basically just agree with you, but I'm saying I'm, I'm replicating a kind of, a certain kind of logic that a lot of people use, which is like when it, when it came to the protest, a lot of people cited that 93 or 97% of the of the Black Lives Matter protests were mostly peaceful. 
and they didn't involve rioting and looting and stuff like that. Right. But focusing in on the 3% to 7% well, that weren't peaceful is myopic, and all you're doing is you're, you're hurting the movement when you focus on that. An analogous yeah. argument might be say that out of the 90 million, only 3% of it went towards LGBTQ stuff. But those so are focusing but those in are on totally, that. But, but see, those are totally different. If you look at it in, in a logical way, those are two totally different settings, right? So you got a peaceful protest going on, but some idiot is 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 doing something reckless over here. You know what I mean? That, that those two, I don't think equate to. I donate money to you, and those funds were supposed to be allocated to, you know, to raise awareness or to have things that go on for the black community. So that's just like mm -hmm. if you give me. That's just like I I I I give you a prime example. Uh, I pay child support. So I, I pay $500 a month for child support and you take $30 and go buy cigarettes with that every month. You know what I'm saying? Is that for, is cigarettes for the child? Is it not that funds supposed to be allocated for the child or for your own personal things that you want to do? Now, remind you, $30 ain't nothing after you got, you still got $470 left. But is it all supposed to go? Is all supposed to go? But to be fair, donating to a general movement or a cause is not quite the same as child support because child support does is, is very specific and narrow. Giving to a general cause is not necessarily as specific and narrow. And with Black Lives Matter, you have to take into account that at least a subsection of the Black community are also members of the LGBTQ community. So Okay, but like, uh, with my question, and, and, I, and, and I get that, and... Like it's pointed out in the documentary that these people were having retreats and uh, some of these people who was getting donated was training active, was training protesters and you know what I'm saying and all this other, uh, all this other stuff. And when I look outside and I see the inner city, I don't see buildings going up, you know, especially in Minnesota where that happened at. I didn't hear anything about a new facility was, was started up with, 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 30 to 40 million of, the, uh, of that money so they could be able to give uh, so a children's fund could be there or an inner city community center could be there so children uh, at youth risk could be able to have somewhere to go. I didn't see a clothing drive being done. I didn't see any of that money being done at uh, at where the the situation happened at. Uh, did George Floyd's uh, did, did George Floyd's family get any of that money? You know? Uh, question. I don't know. You see might. what I'm saying? So if you can allocate the money to LGBT trans situations that had nothing to do with George Floyd, then why couldn't you allocate those funds to a community center, to an outreach program? Why are you taking $34 million and uh, giving it to uh, giving it to the stock market where you could have been starting to you could have got you could have got with my man Dr. Umar? It could have started it started the school. He's been looking for money. What I'm saying is, is that if we're saying all oh, 2.6 million is a blip in the is a blip in the in the in the bucket, you know what I mean? Yeah, but those funds could have been allocated for something more, like you know, uh, um, rebuilding of a school in the inner city, in in George Floyd's honor. There's that money could have been allocated so so many ways. So yes, the responsibility of Black Lives Matter is to be able to get that $90 million and allocate the funds to wherever they want to, but don't get mad when you get criticized where those funds is going. And the same area that you're saying 
that you want uh, police uh, uh, police reform and all of that is still dealing with stuff now. And before we go, I wanted to pull up the article that I was looking at. Minneapolis is from time that Minneapolis is still struggling. Two years after George Floyd's murder, Minneapolis is still struggling to refine, redefine policing. So if there was so much of an issue with policing, where is that funds at to be able to work with the community and and get something uh, together where you're not having those particular issues? You're not having, you know, uh, blood gangs and stuff like that because you're really using that money to clean up the streets, you know? So that's where okay. I have a problem at. All right, we got to wrap up because I got to go soon. Um, on a scale of one to 10, 10 means the best documentary you've ever seen. Uh, one being the worst, what would you give this documentary? I give it a six. It ain't, it ain't. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. It's not the. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen in the world. But it's not the worst thing I've ever seen in the world. I, yeah, I do have my problems, but you know. I actually agree with you. I would. I would give it a six, uh, maybe a six and a half, but um, in there, not quite a seven. Um, all right. Well, I want you to get a chance to say um, your final goodbyes to my audience. And we'll get out of here. All right. So if you guys want to check out some movie movie uh reviews comic book movie reviews blurred information make sure to check out the dre max show on youtube uh i got a video that i'm probably going to do uh tonight if i'm not too sleepy because i don't have to uh work on monday um just talking about creative decisions and how creative decisions can make and break it make or break a franchise and i'm starting with transformers teenage mutant ninja turtles and uh, the Black Panther franchise, tying those all together and why creative decisions uh, can make. Uh, your mic, your mic went out. No, I can't hear you. I don't know what just happened. I don't know, you adjusted something and now I can't hear you. I don't know what just happened. That's random. Is your thing muted? I'm gonna bring you off me back on. Let me try it. Hello? Say something? Wow, I can't hear you at all. That's weird. This is random. It just it froze oh, up. You're good now. Yeah, it just froze up on me. Okay. Oh, Go ahead, go ahead and go back into it. Go ahead and go back. Yeah. Sorry. So uh, check me out on the Dre Mac Show on YouTube. I'm uh, doing a video about uh, how creative decisions can make or break a franchise. I'm talking about uh, the, the first segment of this. I'm talking about Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and how that is compared to the Black Panther franchise going forward. Uh, so make sure you guys check that out. I'll be doing that video tomorrow. It will uh, tonight and it will air sometime uh, tomorrow evening. So make sure to check me out. Uh, again, it's the Dre Mac show or uh, go to my IG page, The Real Dre Mac, and make sure to give your boy a follow and, you know, let's talk about it there. Dope, man. And I want to uh, thank you uh, for, for participating today. I think Malik left in a huff because I, I brought him off screen while he was interrupting me. I brought it back on, but I think I think that's probably why he left. So I'll try to talk to him about that. But uh, thank you, man. Always a pleasure. If you ever want to come back, feel free. And hopefully we can do a collab about some more blurred stuff. Because I do. Yeah, let's do some blurred stuff, man. This is <laughs> let's, do, let's do this. <laughs> so all right.
All right, man. I'm going to bring you off and then I'm going to close out. All right. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Black News Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Jason Muse, aka the Black Muse. Uh, that was fun. I'm, I'm leaving in a little bit of a rush uh, because I got to go tend to some things, but uh, I did have a good time with this, and, and maybe we'll, I'll be able to put another panel together and we can do another part uh, in the series to continue to talk about all the things we didn't explore about the documentary. All right. Uh, until next time, though. Peace.